You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on His yoke. We are pressing into His promise of true life. So we're in Matthew chapter uh, 13. We're jumping back into the Gospel of Matthew. And thank you for that warm welcome, James. Really good stuff. I just want to give you guys a little heads up, and normally I'm, I'm not like this, uh, but man, I don't know what's going on in me. My emotions are being a little stirred here today. It's a beautiful church, not just the building itself, but the people that are here. Man, what a, what a huge encouragement and a blessing. Um, God called me into ministry at a church just down the road here, Victor Memorial Baptist Church, uh, several years ago. My dad was the uh, minister of music there, and so and I don't know if they got the same blueprints, but I'm telling you what, it's almost identical to, to this church. And so there's just a lot uh, stirring up in me. And I've, and I've always heard from a good friend, when you kind of get away from your norm, there's things that resurface and uh, you're not really prepared for them. And they're kind of resurfacing right now. So uh, I'm trying to hold back some tears, but just know, hey, I'm a man that loves tears. I'm just gonna embrace them. And so if you see me crying up here, it's okay. I'll, I'll persevere through it, amen? <laughs> Um, so we're going to be looking at uh, this, this title called The Parable of the Sower today. We're going to be working through verses 1 through 23. I just want to read verses 1 through 9 uh, for us this morning. And so I think uh, the verses are on the screen if you don't have a Bible or the handout in front of you. So let's hear the word of the Lord, and may we be in a posture of receiving this word. So on that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, Uh, So large crowds gathered around him, and he got into a boat, and he sat down. And while the whole crowd stood on the shore, and then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it It was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. And still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray together. Uh, Father, I do pray that the posture of our hearts is a posture of open hands that we would ask, um, that you would open not just our physical ears, Lord, but that you would open the ears of our heart, that you wouldn't just open up our physical eyes, but that you would open up the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you and hear you and live. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I think one of the most difficult questions, um, and this is just me saying, so I'm I'm assuming maybe you guys feel the same way. Uh, One of the most difficult questions that a a person can ask you if you're in a relationship with them, whether it's uh, a spouse, a good friend of yours, or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, is this question. Are you listening? And the reason why they're asking that question is you just got caught. Amen, right? 
Like there's a way that we have mastered the ability to listen but not listen, to hear and not really hear. Uh, my wife and I are convinced that the more words that we say to our kids, that eventually they're gonna get it. I don't know if you guys have ever had that strategy, and that's sarcasm, because it doesn't work. And what we've found, even in the midst of all of our lecturing, that we have a tendency to kind of default to, that if we think, if I can just get more words, eventually it's gonna get in. And usually within the first sentence, they're just kind of glossed over and I can see it. It's like they're done. They're not even listening to me and I just kind of continue on. And so uh, I, I share this, you know, goofy, silly thing uh, because I do think this passage of scripture has everything to do with hearing and listening. Uh, that even uh, with the words of Jesus, we have a way of listening, but not really listening, hearing, but not really hearing, seeing, but not really seeing the word here itself. I mean, you'll, you'll be working through this chapter over the next several weeks, uh, but within the first 23 verses, this word here, listen, is used 17 times. And I don't know, I could be off here, but when a word's repeated, that must mean he wants to emphasize something, amen? So 17 times Jesus uses the word here, listen. And I think part of what he is after here is that he's wanting us not to necessarily um, examine what soil we are, but really ask ourselves the question, am I listening? Am I really hearing these words of life that Jesus is speaking? And so here's all I want to do this morning. Um, I just want to kind of work back through these 23 verses quickly. I just kind of work back through them and, and kind of help this parable get our minds around what Jesus is trying to say. And then I just want to land with a uh, with, with some challenges maybe, some application for us to think and reflect. And, and may the Lord, uh, like I prayed in my prayer, um, open our hearts, open the ears of our hearts, not just our physical ears, but the ears of our hearts, that he would help us see, not just with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of our heart. And so this, um, this chapter is really unique in, in Matthew, and you'll see this over the next few weeks, there's seven parables in this. And I'm not going to get into this, uh, but... Uh, these parables are, are put together in a very specific way by Matthew. Matthew's a brilliant writer. And so these are not put together in some kind of haphazard way where he's going, oh, that sounds cool. Let's, let's load that one in there. Oh, that was, I remember that parable. Let's, no, there's a, there's a point to how he's putting these seven parables together. And this first parable here that he's talking about, this parable of sower, is sort of the, uh, the head parable, the lead parable that leads into the, the rest of them here in chapter 13. And in essence, uh, what Jesus is trying to answer in this first parable is this question, why are there so much or uh, so many mixed responses to Jesus? So if you look at, uh, if you remember chapter 12, the, the opposition toward Jesus kind of begins to really heighten so much so that the religious leaders are saying, we're going to go and kill this guy. Like, we're going to kill him. He, we're done with him. And so it, it, it raises a question with the, the, the guys that are following him. Like, why is there so many mixed responses? Like, if he's really the Messiah, right? If he's really uh, God the Son, God in the flesh, then wouldn't, wouldn't everybody kind of respond positively toward him like him? See, like, and he's doing all these crazy things. Like, wouldn't everyone believe in him, especially the Jewish leaders? I mean, these are guys that, have, that know the Old Testament way better than I even know the Old Testament. And most of us in this room don't know the Old Testament as well as these 
uh, religious leaders, but they don't believe him. They're, they're like convinced that he's from Satan, which is just crazy talk, amen, like seriously, but that's what they believe, and they're trying to go and kill him, and then you got this large crowd that's following him, and uh, they're, they're not really sure, and then you got the family. At the end of chapter 12, you have his brothers and sisters and his mom going, you know, we're reading into other gospels, but basically calling him a crazy man. Like, you are out of your mind. Get out of here, and let's kind of get you settled in. And so you have all these mixed responses toward Jesus, and what Jesus does here in these first 23 verses is kind of peel back the curtains and explain why this is going on. Here's why there's so many mixed responses. And so he starts this chapter off with, with something that's really familiar with most people in this time, but at the same time, it's really strange. So he starts this, this little story. He says, hey, there was, a, there was a farmer. You know, he's out throwing seed. And so that's a picture that everyone in this, in this time would understand. But the weirdness of this story, and hopefully you caught this when we read the first nine verses, is first of all, um, he's a real careless farmer. I mean, he's just throwing seed everywhere. Some lands on a, a path, you know, some lands in some rocky soil, some lands in some thorns, you know, and then others land in, you know, like some good soil. I mean, only three, only a fourth of his seed produces any fruit. Well, look, I'm not a farmer. I'm not a gardener, but I do know this. You're not supposed to throw seed on a path that's not being tilled up. Amen. You're not supposed to throw seed on a, an area where there's a lot of rocks and thorns. It's just, that's just kind of careless. And so everyone hearing this parable is going, that's not a very smart farmer, right? Like one in the world, why is he being so careless with the seed? Actually, maybe the farmer's being really generous. Another thing that's kind of crazy about this is not only the carelessness of the farmer and how he's throwing off the seed, but the power of the one seed that produces fruit. And this is crazy amounts of fruit that's coming from one seed. Did you, did you hear that? 160, 30 times more. And so when, when they're hearing that, they're, they're going, and then they're probably not saying this because they didn't have Disney in this time, but that sounds really like Disney-ish, right? That's just, that's just so fairy tale us. It doesn't happen in reality. One seed doesn't produce so much fruit. So not only they're going, this is a careless farmer, but then you got this one seed that's going kaboom. I mean, it's just like exploding with massive growth. And then at the end of this, this is why this parable is so strange. At the end of it, Jesus says this in verse nine. <laughs> so, so funny, makes, you want to laugh because Jesus has a sense of humor. Let anyone who has ears listen. Okay. And that's what the disciples are doing. They're going, okay, what? I mean, why, why the change in teaching? What, what's going on here? In, in the Sermon on the Mount, you're a little more direct. Right? It's like, you know, if you, you know, you heard Moses say, don't commit adultery. Well, in fact, let me tell you something else. You know, if you lust, you stop doing that. All right? You know, if you're, I mean, he, he's very direct. I'm not going to go through the whole sermon. That would be a little too much, and I don't have time to do that. But you know what I'm saying? That, that kind of teaching in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 is just really clear. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to speak in st stories, like a parable. And this is the strangest parable I've ever heard, and we're supposed to listen. Like, why now do you shift the style of preaching? 
I'm really confused. And so what do the disciples do? Well, they, they jump in the water. I mean, they're on the shore. Jesus is out in a boat, all right? So they just, I mean, we don't, I'm, I'm using my imagination. We don't see Matthew going, and I jumped in the water. But most likely, they're out in the shore, and Jesus is out in this boat on his own. So they get in the water, wade out there, swim out there. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how deep it is. But they get out there, and they get to the boat, and they go, all right, what, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you talking in, in parables? You were really clear a few months ago, and now all of a sudden, you're really unclear, and I just don't know what's going on. That, I mean, that's in essence what they're saying. And look, um, look how Jesus answers this question. Look at verse 11. He answered them, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it's not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So just, just, just hang on here. You got to interpret that verse within the context of the parable, this little story he shared. Because it sounds like there that Jesus is saying the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Right? That's not what's going on there. The one who produces, who gets the seed produces more and more. The one who thought they had the seed gets it taken away. You got to understand verse 12 within the context of the story. Then he goes on in verse 13. That is why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. And then he quotes in Isaiah. Uh, I don't have this on the screen. Sorry, I kind of added this spur of the moment. So just hang with me. But if you got it in your bulletin, look what he says here. He quotes from, the, from Isaiah chapter 6. And this is all the explanation on why he's speaking in parables. And hopefully you're feeling like I'm feeling what <laughs> this is so confusing all right go he goes on and says in verse 14 isaiah prophesies uh, prophecy is fulfilled in them which he says you will listen and listen but never understand you will look and look and never perceive for this people's heart has grown callous and their ears are hard of hearing and they have shut their eyes otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and i would heal them and so I don't know if you're feeling the same way that I would be feeling, but if I'm with the disciples here, they're going, okay, Jesus, that's not really clear. Because <laughs> here's one I'm hearing from you, Jesus. You're telling me that the reason why you're speaking in parables is so that those who are refusing to listen would continue not to listen. For those that are unwilling to understand, they will not be able to understand. You're speaking in parables to keep it sort of concealed. That's what he's saying. Now, I don't know about you guys. And I mean, I, I've been teaching and preaching for a while now. Usually when I use a story or an illustration, I'm not trying to make you more foggy, right? <laughs> I'm not trying to keep you like, huh, right? So if you leave here confused, maybe I'm being more like Jesus than actually what I realized. But usually, thanks for a little bit of laughter there. Usually when I share a story, I'm trying to clear up something. Usually when I share an illustration, I'm trying to take a complex truth and bring it down to where we kind of understand it a little bit more so we can kind of do something with it. And what we see here in part, not in full, but in part, one of the reasons why Jesus is teaching in parables is to conceal the truth from those who continually refuse to listen. 
to conceal the truth from those whose hearts are hard toward him. Remember chapter 12. The religious leaders, they listen to Jesus. He sounds like somebody from God. He really does. He preaches and teaches with authority. They hear this. Jesus is doing things that sure looks like he comes from God. But the religious leaders in this time says, no, he's not from God. I got a great idea. Here's where he's from. He's from Satan. And Jesus is going, I'm going to speak in parables because their hearts are hard. Their ears are closed and they refuse to listen. And so the secrets are going to remain a secret to them. I'm going to conceal, conceal and keep it hidden from them because their hearts are callous and hard and they refuse to listen. Man, if you read the gospels, you'll see this over and over. There's all kinds of crowds that, that get with Jesus and they, they love his miracles. But when he starts teaching, they start backing off. They love the idea of Jesus being a big show. Hey, hey, show me something. Turn this, you know, turn some more water into wine. We love that. You know, that's, that's awesome. Hey, make this bread do something. That's, that's really cool. Do that again. They love the show, but the idea of having a savior? I don't know. They like having kind of a cosmic genie, so to speak, where do these things for me, but the reality of actually having a Lord one who really manages their lives, they didn't want. So Jesus is saying this, the reason why I teach like this is precisely because the parables are hard to understand. They have a way of filtering people out. Those that do not want to hear, those do not want to listen. They just want the show. They just want the cosmic genie. I teach in parables to filter them out. I mean, you think about it, guys. Think about anyone that's, and maybe you have a friend or a relationship with someone that's a counselor or a therapist. They will tell you the most difficult people to work with, the most difficult people um, to get to a place where they can begin to kind of get some healing are those who refuse to listen. Those who refuse to see it, those who refuse to hear what is real. And so Jesus is saying this, look, I'm going to speak in parables to filter those kinds of people out. And honestly, I know, man, like, um, it's kind of hard to hear this. I mean, if we're really reading the word honestly, which I, I commend you to do that, and I commend my congregation to read the word with honesty, because God wants you to do that. He wants you to read with like, this kind of bothers me. I don't know what to do with this. I want to, I, I, I don't know. This is hard to hear. And so, like, if, if that's you, then, then you're in a good place. You really are. But my encouragement for you is not to take and run and say, I'm done with God, done with Jesus, I'm out of here. No, bring this before him. Do what Jacob did, wrestle with him. Say, God, help me to understand this. I want to submit to your truth. I want to have a posture of openness. I know you're the, the God of all things. You can do whatever you please. Help me to understand what's going on here. But at the same time, sometimes I think we miss the point because we get kind of clouded from this idea that God has a way of using parables to conceal himself. But at the same time, the point that Jesus is trying to make is this, is that 
is that it, the disciples, these followers of Jesus Christ, who don't have a full understanding either, that's why they're waiting in the water to come out to Jesus, right? They don't have a full understanding, but they're pressing in. They're asking questions. They're going, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Help me, Jesus, to understand what's going on. And look what Jesus says about them in verse 16. Blessed. Now, where have we heard that word before? You can say it out loud. We're, we're small enough. Yeah, Sermon on the Mount. It's the very same word here. So flourishing are you, happy are you, fulfilled are you. Why? Blessed are your eyes because they do see, your ears because they do hear. And what Jesus is trying to help them see here is this, is that, look, you're able to understand because God's grace is on you. You're able to understand because God's favor is upon you, not because of something you've done, not because there's some kind of specialness in you, but no, God is doing a great work in your life that is opening the ears of your heart and opening the eyes of your heart so that you can see. And if you are hearing and understanding, if you're leaning in, if you're asking questions, listen to me. Jesus is saying that is a work of God's grace in your life. It's not to produce prideness in us or arrogance in us. It is to humble us and say, by God's grace, I am here with a desire to know him, to love him, and to submit under his management. That's the grace of God at work in you. That's to cultivate humility and gratitude and hunger for more. Blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your, your ears because of what you do here. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but did not hear them. And then he looks at them in verse 18, and he says, you, emphasis is on you, you therefore, listen to this. Hear what this parable means. And then he goes through each of the soils and talks about each of them. And look what he does here real quick. Here's four kind of different responses to Jesus. That's what, that's what the parable of the sower is. These are four different responses helping us explain why there's so many mixed responses here that's going on with Jesus. The first soil is the seed that falls on the path. And that could be defined as the, the one who is hard-hearted. Look what Jesus said here in verse 19. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. So this is one who, who hears the seed, hears the message of the kingdom, that hears the gospel. And the, I'm using all those words synonymously. And maybe um, they can even articulate right answers. I don't know if you've had conversations with people like this, but I have. Hey, man, are you a Christian? Say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, Jesus died for my sins. But their life is absolutely not changed. They may have all the intellect and all the right answers, but there's no penetration of the gospel deep in their soul. That's a seed that falls along the, on the path. It's, it's a hard heart. It's quick to dismiss. It's quick to disregard. It's unwillingness to get below the surface. And when that happens, the devil comes and takes it away. 
And that's how some of us, even in this room right now, respond to the seed that's being thrown out today. And it's not just the time that I roll in here. It's been going on since the beginning of the service because the service is full and filled with the very words of Jesus. And Jesus, the farmer, is scattering seed every single Sunday. The second one is a seed that falls on rocky ground. This would be called the shallow heart. Look what Jesus says here in verse 20. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived when distress and persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Man, this one seems really hopeful. They, they, they receive the word. And it seems like it's going to take some root because they receive it, receive it with joy and enthusiasm. And it's like, okay, this has got some hope here, but it's short-lived and there's no roots. And eventually something happens and they bail. And what did Jesus say here? Difficulty, hardship, persecution comes because of what? Say it out loud, because of what? The word, the seed. And when hardship and difficulty and persecution becomes because of the word, this, because there's no roots, they, they hit eject. They're out. I say this often in my church and say it to myself a lot. Jesus never calls us to an easy life. I mean, over and over, Jesus challenges us to count the cost. It's not an easy life to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but it is the best life. It is the good life. It is the life that you're created to live. But it's hard. And persecution and difficulty and suffering will come because of the word. And if it's got no roots, then it won't last. You'll bail. You'll get out of here. I was in student ministry for um, almost 20 years and um, I would see this with my students a lot. And honestly, after doing it for 20 years, I found um, myself becoming very cynical. <laughs> and even to this day, it's something I, um, I bring before God and ask God to continue to break me in my cynicism. And some of it's because I've seen this happen over and over where I sit down and share the gospel with a kid, with a student on a retreat, in a camp after a Wednesday night deal and they receive it, and that seems like joy and enthusiasm, and they're going hard after it for about a month, or even sometimes less than that. And then I'm trying to find them. I'm calling them. I'm texting them. Well, I didn't have texting back in that day. It's just, you know, yeah, it's, I know it's shocking to think we didn't have text, but there was a day when there wasn't texting, right? Um, and they're nowhere to be found. Why? Because it's hard. It's hard to be a follower of Jesus in high school and middle school. The next soul is a seed among the thorns, and this would be the divided heart. It says this in verse 22. Now, this, the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word. But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out and it becomes unfruitful. Similar thing. It seems like this word is taken. It seems like it's, it's getting some roots there. It seems like it has some staying power. But two things choke it out. 
Did you see that? The first one is the worries and anxieties of this age. All the comings and goings, the to-do list, the busyness. And man, isn't that true for our time when there's so much that can distract us so easily. But not only the worries and the anxieties of this age choke it out, but also the deceitfulness of wealth and money, the promise of security that money sometimes provides, but it never, ever delivers. And what did Jesus say? It is really, really hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I think sometimes when I look at this, I think this person may be the most miserable because they know but they're not living. Their loyalties are divided. Their pursuits are divided. They're a divided person. They're not even sure who they are, and probably not very many people know who they are. As I was thinking about this this week, I mean, this is one I think needs to wake me up and wake the church that I pastor up. I mean, we're, we're in the suburbs. We are. And, um, and I'm not saying that um, suburbs is the problem. <laughs> the human heart is what the problem is. But I think the issue with suburbs is sometimes it can make the pursuit after these things look normal. And that's really dangerous. You can't have two loyalties. One will get choked out. And the fourth seed is the seed that falls on the good soil. Look at verse 23. But the one sown on the good ground, the good soil, this is the one who hears, and look at the difference. And what? Understands. That's the difference. All the soils hear the word. This one hears and understands the word who does produce fruit and yields some hundred and some 60, some 30 times what was sown. This is the only one who hears and understands. And do not take that word understand to primarily mean some intellectual grasp of the gospel. There are many of us in this room who have an intellectual grasp of the gospel, but you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just an intellectual grasp of this truth, but it's a life that is lived with God under his management. That's what the idea of understand means. They hear, they hear the word of God, receive it, understand it. They're living life with God under the management of God. And this is the briefest descriptions of all four soils. They hear, they understand, they bear fruit. Complicated, no. Challenging, yeah. Definitely. So what do we do with this? What do, we, what do we take away from this? Well, I'm gonna give you just two real quick. I'll, I'll run through these really fast. First one is this. I, I would encourage you in light of what we just read here and, and, and not just encourage, but really implore you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then ask God to give you a new heart. I mean, when we look at all these soils, I mean, I think all of us say, I wanna be the fourth soil, but here's the deal. You can't become the fourth soil. You can't walk out of here with your own willpower and say, ah, I can be this. I can make my heart tender. No, you can't. 
Ezekiel tells us clearly that your heart is a heart of stone without the gospel coming and making it into a heart of flesh. The only way that you can become the fourth soil is that you are birthed into the kingdom of God. Read John chapter 3. This language of born again is not just something we did in the 70s and 60s. This is not old school. It's in the Bible. You must be born again. You can't just go and become the fourth soil. You've got to be rebirthed into the kingdom of God, and then God, by his grace, gives you a brand new heart. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the wonder of the gospel. There's so much that we, that we receive that we do not deserve, and one of it is we get a heart that's tender, that's moldable, that's soft. And when we hear the words of Jesus, it's like, it's like we're leaning in, right? We're, we're, our posture is, I, I want to hear more. I want to know more. God, I don't fully understand here. I know my life's not fully submitting here. I know I'm not, but I, I want more. And that's not a work that you do. It's a work that God gives you. It's a gift of his grace. And so, yes, my desire is that all of us in this room, including me, has the soft heart. That our heart is the fourth soil. That whenever we roll in here every single Sunday morning, we're not trying to evaluate the service, right? Which we have a tendency to do all the time because we're Westerners. Like, yeah, I like the sermon. Didn't like that song. That song, kind of stinky. Wish they would do it like this, you know. And, you know, James really wasn't on his game today. And I don't know. And Lyle, he's a little too out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we just kind of critique the whole time. And here's the thing that we got to hear. Your responsibility is to have a posture of receptiveness. Not to sit in here and critique how it went. We're not going to stand before God and go, man, God, if you would have given me greater preachers, I probably would have, you know, did a little bit more and been more fruitful. Garbage, amen? I can't work for the forced soil. I can't. I got to be rebirthed into the kingdom of God by receiving the message of Jesus Christ. And then as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm coming in here every Sunday because the seed is being thrown out every Sunday and say, God, I want to be the fourth soil. God, help this to land on me in a tender way. Humble me. Shape me. Mold me. Make me new. That's, that's what I want. So I encourage you, if you don't know Jesus or if you find yourself, maybe, maybe, God, through his word, is opening you up to say, wow, you are the hard soil. You are the one that's in the, in the thorns. You're the one that's been thrown. Man, wake up. Wake up. This is Jesus' words to you today. And say, God, give me a new heart. I surrender to you. I'm done. Give me a new heart. The second thing and I encourage you to do with this is that those who have received Christ have a brand new heart, then I think the invitation is that we would continually put ourselves under the word. And I alluded to this a little bit in the first one, but I just want to make sure I articulate this really clearly, that we would continually put ourselves under the word. Remember, the word here appears about 17 times in this text. And I just said this at the beginning, yes. And so Jesus is trying to make a point here. And so the point is not trying to determine which soil I am, but more of kind of asking the question and answering it 
am I listening? Am I listening? Meaning, meaning all the soils hear the word, just like I said, but there's only one soil that understands the word, which means that the one who understands the word is the one who stood under the word. So that's the way to understand what understand means. So how do I know I'm listening? Well, just draw out understand. I'm understand, right? So if I'm really listening to the word, then the word is like this in my life. I'm under it. Do I understand everything? No. Am I perfect? No. Am I doing this because I want to get a relationship with God? I got to stand on the word because I got work. No, you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Am I doing this because I want to earn his favor? No, you got the favor of God through Jesus Christ. Am I doing this to get acceptance from God? No. You live from a posture of love and favor and acceptance. And so we stand under this word because it's life. That's why. It's life. And so the commands of God are there for your good. Obedience is not the four-letter word in Christianity. Amen? I know sometimes we think it is, but it's not. Obeying God is not legalism. It's life. And he's given you a new heart and new desires so that you want to. In an age where we see um, a time that's marked by confusion, the words of Jesus can give us clarity. In a time where we see things are marked by aimlessness and we don't know where we're going, the words of Jesus can give purpose and direction. In a time that's marked by tons of insecurity, the words of Jesus are rock a rock in which we can stand on. So not only do we ask for a new heart, but that we as followers of Jesus Christ, that God, please, I want to put my life under your management because you have the words of life and I want to set my life under that. I'll end with this story and I thought about this story this morning and um, it brought tears to my eyes, man. I, I don't, yeah, so if it brings tears, that's great. We'll, we'll embrace them, amen. Um, so I spent 15 years uh, as a student minister at church in LaGrange, Kentucky. And um, it's, it's, it's been a real blessing for God to allow me to be kind of in this area for 20 plus years. I've been nine years at J-Town, so, you know, that's, over 20 some years and I grew up in a little town called London Junction which is about 30 miles south of here so God's been very gracious to allow me to stay in kind of a, a central area and run into people and so there was a um, there was a, we're, I was at a cross-country meet in the fall for my two youngest uh, Conlon and Davin um, and we were just at the tent waiting for the kids to get back and there uh, comes up beside me a, a guy that I recognized I, I didn't remember his name but I kind of recognized him back in my student ministry days. And he came up to me and says, hey man, do you, do you remember me? It always makes me nervous when people say that. <laughs> it's like, because I know if I say no, that could really hurt your feelings. So, uh, and, I, and I did, I wasn't, I wasn't lying. I did remember him a, a little bit. It's like, I know I, know I should remember you better. Uh, but I, I just said something like, yeah man, I, I remember you. Can, you. can you refresh my memory? And he said, you know what? I used to be the boyfriend of Stephanie Lowe and I came to your youth group and uh, we were in, uh, one time we met up at Burger King and you shared the gospel with me. And in that moment, I received Christ. 
Do you remember that? And honestly, guys, I, I don't. I, I really faintly remember that. And this was probably later on um, in kind of the 15 years and part of my cynicism that was going on where you cast a seed out a lot. You just don't see any fruit that lasts. And so I'm sure I did share the gospel with him. I know he's not lying, and I do remember him, and I just remember him kind of being very hit and miss in our youth group, kind of like one of those situations where I thought, well, you know, I threw the seed out there. It's not going to last. But here he comes. I mean, this is 20 years later. He said, you remember that? When you shared the gospel with me, I, I received that, and I'm telling you, it changed my life. I got kids now. We're in church every single week. And I just wanted to say thanks. Thank you. And as I reflect upon that, man, sometimes it just makes me kind of feel bad. It really does. I feel a lot of shame in the sense of like, why can't I remember that moment? But at the same time, I'm reminded of how powerful this seed is. Just trying to be a faithful guy. Don't even remember sharing the gospel with him, but God took that little seed in spite of my cynicism, my lack of faith. And he took that seed and he changed this guy's life. Changed his life forever. His kids are benefiting from having a dad who loves Jesus. That's what the seed can do. That's what the seed can do in your life. That's what the seed can do in your family's life. That's what the seed can do in this community. So may we, but God's grace, man, God, give us, give us a soft heart. Put us under the word of God and help us to trust that even though, man, three out of four times it's gonna fail possibly, right? Maybe trust that you're gonna take one of those seeds and do something in someone's life that we may not see in this world, but man, a new heavens and a new earth, we will. We'll see that 30, 60, a hundred times of fruit that's being bore and bared from this one small seed. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.